Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I'm Jeff. Jake. CJ. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Hey. Uh, wait, time out. Real quick, I have to do this. Two of our most loyal listeners, Matt and Micah, happy birthday. Happy birthday and happy birthday, Henry. I was going to get oh, there, sorry. dude. Sorry. And happy birthday, Henry, which is CJ's son. I have not met any of them. They all have the same birthday. That's insane. In the same family. Yeah, I mean, um, what a day. Matt and Micah, I mean, I know who they are, and they follow we they follow me. We follow each other on Instagram, right. but I have not officially met the Matt and Micah. You so don't get to. Sorry. You, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Happy birthday, guys. Um, your brother got you a pretty cool gift. You know, I I feel like it came through pretty that's well. That's a good gift yeah, giving. That is. I just I just saw it and it's pretty Tell awesome. tell the audience what you got him, CJ. So I um I don't remember how I stumbled uh, upon it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's doing he's I'm, I'm oh, fully wow. committed. That's amazing. So not not a great visual medium podcast, yeah. but um I kind of spoiled the the surprise. But <laughs> I got my brothers a birthday shout out message from former Portland Trailblazer Greg Oden. Yeah. Um, there's a website called Cameo, and you can go on there and get different people who mm-hmm. are famous to uh, record a little video message that you can send to your friends. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked up Blazers to see who I could get, and honestly, Greg Oden was the most prominent uh, right. name that was on the list. <laughs> That's um, amazing. Rod Strickland might have been pretty cool, yeah. or uh, I just couldn't bring myself to get them a message from Nolan Smith. Uh, so... Mm. I, yeah, I mean, Greg Oden's a solid choice if those yeah, are other yeah, options. Yeah, I mean, Nolan Nolan Smith. Unless you're a Duke, I like Nolan unless, Smith. Unless you're a Duke <laughs> fan, like, yeah. gosh, I don't know. I'll tell you what, too. I was disappointed because there's a player on the New York Jets named Henry Anderson. Oh yeah, I know Henry Anderson. And I really wanted to get a video from him to send to my son Henry, but oh. uh, not everybody's on Cameo, right? So right. no dice there, but that's okay. He. Probably wouldn't enjoy it as much as I know my brothers right. enjoy the Grey Goden. I started message. laughing because you're wearing a Grey Goden t-shirt right now. <laughs> um, this is so a awesome. serious collector item. I only bring it out a few times. Actually, yeah. one of the times I often will wear it is on Halloween, and I say I'm a zombie trailblazer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Uh, Jake. Yeah. Mass Singer. You know who was unmasked recently? Who? Mark Sanchez. Really? Yeah. <laughs> How was he at singing? It's not bad, dude. Really? It was actually surprisingly decent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, old Mark Sanchez. I had no guess. Dude, that guy is handsome. He is a good looking dude. He's a good looking guy. It's uh it's unfortunate it didn't work out for him with the Jets yeah. because he um I think he would have been decent. I think he actually was a okay quarterback. It just the New York Jets just destroy careers. Yeah. So I don't blame all this talk about so there's the the thing I just Jet stuff really quick. Yeah, uh, they're probably going to go zero and sixteen. They're this bad, and they're going to get the number one pick. And the best quarterback prospect to come out of college since Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to fall to them, right? And then the Jets would be stupid not to take him. If I were Trevor Lawrence, dude, I would either stay in college, <laughs> or I would do what Eli Manning and the and the Manning family did to the San Diego Chargers, which was saying we're not playing for you. If you draft him, you got to trade him. And San Diego called the Mannings bluff, drafted Eli Manning, and they said no. Like he's Whoa. not coming. You How trade can you him. How just say no? So they did a draft day trade with the New York Giants, who drafted Philip Rivers, 
and on draft day, they just swapped quarterbacks. So football's different than some other sports. Yeah. Um, in football, you basically draft the right to go and sign that player as a free agent. Oh, but it's so different because in football, weird. there's such a discrepancy between how much money people make at different positions. Mm-hmm. So like if you took – like in the NBA, yeah. the draft order determines the salary for those players. So the number one draft pick gets paid the most. The number two right. pick gets slightly less. In the NFL, it's based on position. Right. And so if you draft a quarterback number one – you're in a certain pay scale. And if you draft oh. like a kicker number one for some reason, your pay scale is going to be. But Has but, that ever happened? But it's still not set in stone. No, there's never been a kicker taken in the first round. <laughs> the, really? Uh, no, the Raiders took Sebastian Janikowski in the first round. Oh, you're right. And you're everybody right. As said, soon as I said that, something clicked in my mind that said, that's not right. There was one, and it, you're right. It was it was uh, Leadfoot Janikowski. Everybody said that was a bad pick, and he played like 20 years in the NFL and was a. A preeminent Pro Bowl level wow. kicker. Dude, so dude, boot it. We'll do it. Like now, guys are hitting fifty yard kicks on the regular. Mm-hmm. This guy was hitting fifty yarders before anybody else That's was. That's awesome. Yeah. But so, anyways, the NFL is different in that sense because once you make the selection, there's still a negotiation that takes place. It's not right. set in stone. You're going to pay this player this amount of money. They have a little bit of wiggle room. And I'm not sure if there's mm. also negotiation in like the terms of the contract in terms of duration. Um, I think there's some parameters within that, but that's how the players can still exert some limits. Dude, and that the would NF- suck. And mm-hmm. in the NFL, the contracts are not guaranteed. So you get some guaranteed money that's built into the contract. But like if you sign a five-year contract, you'll get that guaranteed money up front. But if a year into the contract, you get injured or underperform yeah. or something, they can just cut you and they can just burn the rest of the contract. So... Uh, NFL players tend to, that's why you'll hear about them holding out, Mm -hmm. um, and trying to get a better deal negotiated and things like that is because that's really the only leverage they have in basketball and baseball. Once you sign a contract, unless there's some really extenuating circumstances, you're going to get that money. That's insane. Um, In the NFL, it's, it's a little bit more ambiguous. Sounds gross. I don't like football. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I'm not liking football. I've I have been doing my um, Sundays. I'm calling it my uh, so, my social distancing from the New York Jets, and just have been going out into the woods on hikes on Sundays. You're not even watching. Nope. Whoa. This is how bad. That's how bad they are, Jeff. Whoa. Let me put this into perspective. They got shut out two weeks ago by the Miami Dolphins and score. I don't know what that didn't means. Didn't score a point. Miami Dolphins are not a good football team, and the Jets didn't score a point. Like they didn't score. They didn't score a point. Wow. Well, last week they played the Buffalo Bills, another division rival. They lost 18 to 10. And people are like, well, you know, that's not that bad. You know, they scored 10 points on their first drive. They had four yards total Mm -hmm. in the entire second half. They lost a game in which. How are they that bad? They lost a game (laughs) in which they didn't give up a TD. Mm -hmm. They gave up six field goals. Okay. But they also. Didn't force a punt. Oh wow! So that means that the every the time Buff- the Bills the, had the ball, they scored. They scored. Well, they or missed. They, two, they missed two field goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and they had th- a fumble. So nine of their drives. But they were all attempted field goals. They're all for ex- their point scoring. Uh huh. Yeah, that sounds exhilarating. And how do you? <laughs> and how do you lose that? Like, how do you lose that game when all you do is holding your opponent to field goals? Yeah. Because all you hear is like, when you're settling for field goals, you're losing games. 
No, not when you're playing the Jets. Wow. Apparently, just kicking enough of them is enough because they cannot <laughs> do anything offensively. They're <laughs> atrocious. We need a Bills and Broncos game because the Broncos had a game a couple weeks ago where they won with like eight field goals or something like you're that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> That's it's, crazy. This year's this year's NFL is weird. I think it's just a lot of it has to do with the Jets are going we're going to be bad regardless, yeah, but yeah. the second but there's a lot of teams that are just like the Minnesota Vikings. They they came out of no, they came out of nowhere and and are bad. Mm. Um Dallas because of injuries, but they weren't that good before the right. injuries anyway. There's a lot of like one-win teams. Mm-hmm. That are just there's like eight one win teams in the wow. league right now. Yeah. It's like it's really top. The league's super top heavy. You've got like four or five teams that are contenders, mm-hmm. a couple that are middling, and then a sh- really a ton How of bad teams. Uh, I think they're four and two. Oh, well, not bad. Uh, there's only a few teams like I don't care about football. You guys know this. It's been said a billion times. I probably care about football more than baseball, but that's a different point for a different day. Um, but there are certain teams that I do kind of check in with because I have friends that are fans of them. So it's Seahawks, Jets, and Dallas. Mm. And, dude, those injuries in Dallas, like, have been brutal. Yeah. For their quarterbacks, both of them. Mm-hmm. Do you see that head hit? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, and what's, dude. What's crazy is that nobody in Dallas even went to defend their quarterback after he got hit like that. I thought that, too. Yeah. They just ran over there and stood around and, like, kind of like, hey, get back. Mm-hmm. Dude. I would have freaked out. There's there's a lot of a uh, lot of th- thought amongst media members that like McCarthy's done after one year yeah. in Dallas. Yeah. That just is a bad hire because that team looks like it's quit. Yeah, it looked like it quit even before Dak got hurt, but yeah. it really quit after Dak got hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think too. We were talking about all different circumstances and factors, and Jeff and I were talking right before we hit record, mm-hmm. but. Um, Dude, it's 2020. Like, yeah. everything is hitting everybody. I was mm-hmm. telling him I've had several conversations this week at work where mm. um, everybody's getting hit with the stuff that everybody's dealing with. But as well as those things, there's the personal issues and things that are going mm-hmm. on. At a random, my my dog got a it's called a hot spot. We've mm-hmm. never had that oh, yeah. before, but I, get, um, I, I was going to ask you because they said Golden's, it's a common thing. So anyways, it's basically a skin infection and I didn't know what it was right away. And so we kind of were watching it and then it like doubled in size Oof. two times over 48 hours. And so I started to kind of get stressed. And so I called our vet and they're like, yeah, we can get you in in two weeks. Oh my gosh. So then For a I, hot spot, they're usually a lot faster than Yeah. That. They're like, wow. well, we would just, um, and then I called the place that you guys took Dexter. Which one? The place by Costco, the emergency, oh, the emergency hospital. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, you know, that's really not the thing that we do. Yeah. But here's another place you can call. Everybody was booked up. We finally got him in somewhere, and so now he's got an antibiotic, and he's wearing. Dude, the cone it's so and, crazy. You had to deal with that. But it's just like everybody's got all those things that yeah. by themselves in a normal year would be totally manageable. But it's like we're all carrying eight months of COVID weight yes. and the election and all um, the other things. I was going to say just the vet thing is like, I just, we just did that with, so when we, when we bought Logan, the vet was like, Hey, I want you guys within 48 hours to take your dog to the vet so they can check him out. Also, mm-hmm. you see, they took him to the vet. So we called Mountain View mm-hmm. and it's like, dude, we don't have anything available for two weeks. And I was like, what the crap? So we called another place and they're like, no, we don't have anything. We took him to Amaziah eventually, but it was just like just jumping from vet to vet just to try to see him just for a real quick visit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we're going back to Amaziah. 
Really? Yeah. Now, I like Mountain View, but the communication there is brutal. Really? It's brutal, man. Like, you'll schedule an appointment, you'll show up, and they'll be like, what? You have an appointment? You'll be like, yeah, I talked to Jake. They're like, Jake, did you talk to them? Oh, no, I thought they talked to CJ. And it's like, <laughs> what? No. Really? Oh. No, I'm Thankfully, I've never had that issue. <laughs> it's like every time. There's really? always a communication breakdown. Weird. Every time, man. Huh. So That's like the vet I took Hugo to. They Or my mom took him because I was <laughs> had crazy work stuff going on this week but yeah. they called yesterday to just see how he was doing and i didn't recognize the number so they left a voicemail but on the voicemail to your point of like the communication it sounded like they were on the floor of the new york stock exchange like <laughs> <laughs> it's just like so much noise going on yeah. and so i was like i'm not gonna call back just to tell them that he seems to be doing fine yeah. like now i have the number if there is a problem i'll, right. I'll call but i don't want to tie up the phone line when they've got obviously this much stuff going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My sister works um, as a, you know, basically as a, in the, in the veterinary industry, mm-hmm. she works in the, like, the front desk and all that scheduling stuff. And mm-hmm. um, she said like, because there's so many people who bought dogs in COVID. That's like, what I was wondering. That's the reason why she's like, everywhere is just, just booked. That's insane. Every, insane. Every single day, she said, down in Colorado at her Oh, really? Is just in, is absolutely insane. You got all these new dog owners who want their dogs to be seen for everything because they don't, you know, they just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're booking for small little things or um, coming in and getting, like, just people getting really, really upset that there's, there's just not, there's no, you know, there's nothing available. Right. There's and nothing so, you can so do. that, like, they're getting screamed at and it's just, it's a, it's a lot. Freaking Logan. Oh, I got the puppy, by the way. I'm sure listeners know that. But um, I've been posting him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a he has a little tummy parasite that puppies do get. But it's like even. OK, so we, that was just such a struggle to get that one visit. And now he has a parasite. Now we have to freaking do that. And he got his medication. So he's feeling better now. But, you know, Jen said she wanted to. Pu- I love. OK, look, I love Harrison. Everybody knows I love Harrison. He's a sweet boy. But he's such an old, just like lazy bum. He just wants to lounge and chill. Jen was like, you know, I want to, I want to palm because I need some life in this house. Well, we got some freaking life in this house. <laughs> freaking <laughs> diarrhea everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, that the, the puppy life. Yeah. Well, I was on CJ last night. He was r- bolting around the couch through right in between the chair and the couch, running around the, the coffee table and just doing laps. <laughs> <laughs> Just all for like 15 minutes last night. It was so funny, um, but it is good. It, it does definitely liven. And, and and I'll show you. I should show you guys a video. Harrison lay, is laying in Logan's little bed, and Logan's just jumping on him. And like Harrison, remember I told you he was kind of like, kind of a dick about it. Mm-hmm. He's definitely been more like chill and like letting the puppy jump all over him. And you can see it. Like Jen's like he acts like he hates it, but he kind of likes it. And yeah. I love watching old dogs and puppies because it's that same relationship all the time. The puppy is just like a spaz and the old dog is like, I just want to lay here Mm -hmm. and be left alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then eventually they'll take the bait a little bit. So my parents have a boxer puppy that is, I don't know how old he is now. He, I think they got him like at the beginning of April. Mm -hmm. So I think he was born beginning of February. So how old does that Mm -hmm. make him? Eight months or something like that. But he's like, bigger than my dog now he's like almost really? 70 pounds Whoa. he's gonna be massive but yeah. he will get so excited and and he's like that we come over to their house and he just wants to play mm-hmm. and boxers are they like to bounce around and i mean that's why they have their name they like to push, push with their front right. paws 
And so Hugo will put up with it for a while, and then he like snaps back at him. And I love that Hugo is the old dog in this yeah. scenario. <laughs> but it's funny too because they'll get running. And when Hugo was younger, he used to love to run and have other dogs chase him. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's like fairly fast, but he's also kind of a, a balance between speed and agility. Mm-hmm. So like really agile dogs, he could outrun them straight. And dogs that could catch him with speed, he would like start a turn and then turn sharp and mm-hmm. be able to outrun them. And he he ends up being the one chasing Tyson, and it makes him uh, so mad. You'll just hear him like barking, and <laughs> I love and Tyson that just thinks so it's much. a game. He thinks it's so fun. I love it because I know Hugo being the one like, "Get me, come chase me, come chase yeah. me," and now it's just flipped, and he's like, "Ugh, just this old grouch." That's awesome. Anyways, you freaking nerds, nonstop <laughs> messaging. I'm waking up at seven in the morning for my freaking puppy, and you two are in the most just deep conversation about swing states and the election and what's happening now. And I'm just like, guys, it's seven in the morning, <laughs> dude. The polls don't sleep, man. I've had a couple days this <laughs> week. Where do you two. I've had a couple days this week where I had to be at the hospital at like six. Yeah. And so, and then I was basically there to help supervise a photographer that was doing headshots for a bunch of our doctors and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was like low, involvement once right. i unlocked the room and i'm just there to make sure everything is stays safe and mm-hmm. i'm like hosting a person that's not part of our staff on campus so yeah it sends me down the rabbit hole and uh yeah it's it's been wild yeah you too i'm just like what? What? what and then okay so i just have to say this so you guys are just going off about you know the nuances of the the supreme court rulings and the swing state and what the polls are saying. And I just randomly just message you, I love Alex Jones. And nobody acknowledges <laughs> it. Crickets. And you guys just keep going. <laughs> Wasn't he on Rogan? Oh, I love him so much, dude. I was I wondering him. what the context was. I was. Well, dude, we talked about this a little bit, but when Rogan signed that contract with Spotify, they removed a bunch of his episodes. And Alex Jones was one of them. Uh, what's his name? McGinnis, the starter. Gavin McGinnis. Gavin McGinnis. Yeah. They removed that episode. Um, Milo Yannanopoulos or whatever. Yeah, the, they the removed Chimo. his episode. So they're just removing. They removed all these episodes with these kind of controversial figures, and then Joe Rogan just has him on again last week, and it was interesting because I, I'm just side note real quick because I love Alex Jones. Um, previously. You know, Joe Rogan smokes weed, he gets drunk, and he does this with his guests. Well, it's sober October, so Rogan isn't doing anything, and he's sober. But I think he also understands the weight of Spotify kind Mm -hmm. of hovering over him. So every time that uh, uh, Alex Jones was making these, like, insane claims, he was like, stop, slow down. You can't just say that. Let's look it up. And he would just constantly fact check him throughout the whole episode. And in previous episodes, he's just like, let the dog off the chain and just let him go. So it was it was kind of nice mm-hmm. to have him like, but also I know why he's doing it. And that kind of bothers me. But I don't know. I love Alex Jones. <laughs> I appreciate that context because I, I remember I was looking at our conversation that came up because we were talking a little bit about the tech CEOs appearing before mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Senate this week to talk about work that they are doing to moderate their platforms. And there are, there are definitely two sides to that debate. I mean, there's what you're talking about 
from a first amendment perspective of mm-hmm. saying if Joe Rogan wants to have a podcast and say whatever he wants, yeah. who is Spotify to to pick and choose what of his million dollar contract is who they are. Right. <laughs> and and I think that's that's an interesting part of the conversation. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, shoot, I lost my Sorry. That's okay. I were oh, I was thinking of two other things. Yeah. So that whole conversation reminds me of two things that happened roughly in the last week. Mm-hmm. But one um, was the president's interview on 60 Minutes, a oh, historical yeah. thing that they do before every election. They'll interview both presidential candidates and both vice presidential candidates. Yeah. And um, I think probably everybody knows the president pretty famously went after Leslie Stahl in that interview and was attacking her, was saying um, the media which he was, you know, including 60 Minutes and yeah. the media in a broad sense for not um, covering and giving attention to stories that he felt should get attention that were not complimentary of Joe Biden right. and instead asking him tough questions. And Leslie Stahl had great, if you watch the video mm-hmm. of that exchange, she had great comebacks to that. She said, we we don't report on things that we can't independently verify. We need primary sources oh. to be able to, you know, we're not just going to report right. because, and I think within great within sports, mm-hmm. we see that a lot where, especially now with sports journalism happening a lot on Twitter, mm-hmm. you see everybody saying, well, somebody that I know with information close to the story says, yes, you know, LeBron point. hates the Lakers and he's going to come to the Blazers. Yeah. And like, how do you prove that? Like, w- w- what's the trail? You yeah. you've kind of made it really ambiguous, and so there are certainly journalism platforms that choose to report that way, mm-hmm. but that is not a mandate. And so right. I think for the for the president to make and I you hear me getting wound up about this because I went mm-hmm. to school for journalism, right. so I, I've been having these conversations since I was in college and and thinking about what this looks like and. You know, we looked at how the media is positioned in other countries, mm-hmm. and there are places where the government tells the media what to report. Right. I mean, most famously, we think about North Korea, where they talk yeah. about, you know, Kim Jong Un going out and making seventeen hole in ones on a golf course. You know, in <laughs> his round, he clearly did it. I mean, yeah. the guy is a uh, he's a physical specimen. So, the other thing that this reminds me of mm-hmm. in in what you're talking about with Joe Rogan pushing back is um, an article that I sent you guys from. Miles Taylor, mm-hmm. who is a former member of the Department of Homeland Security. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He wrote an, at that time, anonymous op-ed in the New York Times mm-hmm. about... Um, 2018, dan- right? Yeah, yeah, some dangers that he saw with how Donald Trump was conducting himself as president. Yeah. And I really appreciated this next article because he attached his name to it, and he yeah. kind of it put the rationale out. He said, in 2018, when I wrote that op-ed... I intentionally made it anonymous because I know this president. Mm-hmm. And if I put my name to it, all he would do is attack me as a person. Right. He would not attack the logical arguments and the facts that I've laid out in this piece. And mm-hmm. so by not attaching a name to it, I force him to face those things. Which That's insane. And dude. then he basically said, he, which he hasn't done, he's not produced evidence to disprove the things that, that I laid out in that right. op-ed. You know, and probably he attacked the New York Times yeah. for saying, oh, you know, they're just making this up with an anonymous source or, oh. you know, they have an agenda against me. Um, but then you see that happening now. And mm-hmm. I think it's a really important it's something I appreciate about conversations with Jake, because in our text, I'll fire yeah. off, you know, I saw this thing or I heard this thing. And Jake will come back and say, well, who said that? Where are you seeing that? Yeah. 
And we all can get so caught up in, I'm going to just forward a headline. I'm going to, sure. oh, I'm yeah. going to oh, yeah. just put an exclamation point on this thing that supports a belief that I have. And we don't always follow it back and say, but where does that story begin? Yeah, what's the origin? And you guys, yeah. from a history perspective, you know, you talk about primary sources, right. getting back to um, that person who witnessed the event firsthand versus mm-hmm. the grandson or the granddaughter right. that heard the story third hand and, and what their perception of the story yeah, is. Yeah, through secondary sources. You know, that's I want to say one thing. I didn't get to watch the hearings for the social media and the, and the tech companies, but... Gosh, that's something I'm so interested in. And we've talked about it a bunch on here, but I think I'll have to find a way to, to either read a recap or watch the hearings. I mean, as much as I can, because I don't know, it's it's crazy how much power we as consumers give those tech companies. We, I mean, we do. It's so much. Yeah. Dude, I got uh, Amazon all over my house. <laughs> their cameras are in my house, like uh, outside my house. Their little uh, Alexa screen speaker is in my kitchen. Like mm-hmm. they're everywhere, dude. So let me let me go kind of on the other side of that. So okay. I was thinking about this week and with the, the hearings going on and some of that information. So one of the things I do for work is I manage the social media accounts for yeah. our hospital. And we do all of them. You do a good job. My, my team does that. Okay, you guys do a good job. We, I just want to say that because I do follow it and I'm like, oh, that's good. That's a good pose right there. Yeah. So we occasionally will advertise on Facebook um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we'll promote different posts. So a couple things that are really interesting that if you're not like managing a community page or um, doing advertising through social media, you might not understand or know. Right. We have, I think, just over 7,000 followers to our page. Mm-hmm. When we post something, if we just post it in a vacuum, right. Facebook will show it to about 300 people. Oh, weird. So 7,000 people have said, we want to see the things that are posted. Facebook shows a small sample Whoa. of those people, the content, and then... Out of those 300 people, if lots of people like it, if lots of people click, if lots of people are commenting, Facebook goes, oh, this is useful, good content. And so just fundamentally, like all of these websites are the same in the sense that their goal is to keep you on their site as long as possible. Right. I was just talking about this with my team this week. We were talking about blog posts that we put on Facebook versus just having an infographic that we drop in. Yeah. And I was saying... From Facebook's perspective, they don't want people to click on a link that's in Facebook that takes them out of the platform. But if they can just click on an image and it expands, but they stay in Facebook, by default, Facebook is going to prioritize that. The other big example of that is um, video. So if I post a YouTube link in Facebook, it won't show it to as many of those people as if I embed the video or upload it directly to Facebook. Facebook. Because Facebook looks at that and says, well, that those people will spend more time on our site where our ads live and where yeah. we can put other messages in front of them. So that's interesting. And right. then when you start to advertise, it gets really interesting too because you're talking about all the things that you have of Amazon and the, right, the potential right. it has for them to know things about right, you. Right, right. Um, when we want to do an ad on Facebook, we can target, so we can target geographically, but then mm-hmm. we can say, what age group do we want to target? Mm-hmm. What um, gender do we want to target? Right. And we can yes. start to target like those interests. Uh-huh. So we could target, like we did a nutrition class 
last year. Maybe it was earlier this year Mm -hmm. before everything shut down. But um, I was like, oh, we'll target people that are interested in vegetarianism, Mm -hmm. people that are interested in veganism. Mm -hmm. We should target people that are interested in the food network. We should target people that are interested in like celebrity chefs. Mm -hmm. And so like I, you can add in all of those criteria and it helps refine your audience. But But my point with that too, is it's really interesting because like we could make an ad for that event yeah, and we could target women who are older uh-huh. and we could have different copy and a different image that fits that audience oh, and we could target interesting. college age yes. guys and, and show different and content. So different. Yeah. I think people know that, like, you know, you see ads that are based on right. behavior that you've can, you know, the classic is when you search for a consumer product yeah. and then you that see it in your me ads out, all You're the time. bumming me out. You're bumming me out because like we're talking like in the in the grad program for communications, we're talking yeah. about search engine optimization and just finding a way to reach your audience. And we're talking, and, you know, you talk about how decades ago there was the gatekeeping of whatever the medium is, right? Whether it's the newspaper or television or, you know, wherever you're putting your ads, those are the gatekeepers that you have to get through to have it. Mm-hmm. But then there was a shift with social media and now the gate, there's not really a gatekeeper because you're allowed to directly talk to your audience. But what you're talking about terrifies me because there is a new element of gatekeeping and I guess it's Facebook's way to monetize or force a monetization. But if you have 7,000 followers and it's only reaching 300 There is that gatekeeping there. So here's the other part of that is if we post something that's really useful health content, it might get, you know, okay engagement. We might get up to a thousand or fifteen hundred of those people to get visibility. Mm -hmm. But imagine if we posted something that was like super pro-abortion or super Mm -hmm. anti-abortion or something like that that's Mm -hmm. really scandalous and gets a flame war going on in the comments Mm -hmm. or... Like something that's really overtly negative and bad and everybody's just commenting saying right. like, this is terrible. I can't believe you would post this. I hate it. Um, Facebook is going to look at that and say, oh, this has more activity. We should be showing this to Oof. more people. So in terms of you thinking about the algorithms of social media and how they're potentially driving polarization yeah. and also creating those echo chambers because yeah. the targeting that we see is not all that Facebook is able to do. So one right. of the other things that they're doing is they're saying, what does CJ pause the scroll when he sees in yes. his Facebook feed? What things does he click on? Because that's the other thing is when you do advertising, you can set what your goal is for advertising. Mm-hmm. So you can say, I want likes and comments and shares. Right. Or I want people that are going to click on a link. Or I can put a button to call and people will call. So then if I say I want likes, comments, and shares, Facebook's not just showing it to more people because I paid them to. Mm-hmm. It's showing them sp- Specifically to the people that will like comment. Or yeah, share. that is they insane, know their behavior, dude. So it's <laughs> holy crap. It's really interesting, and yeah. I thought, you know, I I I think one of the things that's interesting in the hearings too is I think we're all making the dis- assumption that like Facebook is our only choice or mm-hmm. Twitter is our only choice, um, and I think those CEOs would fundamentally argue and say we're the biggest voice in the market but we're not a monopoly like that's when you talked about like the gatekeeper i'm thinking about like print newspapers back Mm -hmm. in the day like there was a finite resource there 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 was a certain amount of content and i think the internet has changed that in the sense that it's much broader now there's more opportunity um yeah and 
I don't mean that that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, I yeah, think yeah. that's taken away yeah. the gatekeeper and you have right. all the different viewpoints. And then again, it creates people sort of curating what do I want to see? What do I want to know? What For reinforces sure. what I already believe? Um, but it was interesting. I didn't see all of the information about the hearings either, but a couple <laughs> things that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, and I haven't verified this, but I saw people sharing and saying mm-hmm. that the social media platforms were talking about work they had done to um, like Mark Zuckerberg. I did see a clip from him where he talked about um, the platform regulating and removing Facebook groups that showed intent to organize, to commit acts of violence um, and censoring out groups that were related to QAnon. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I heard as a counterpoint is people were saying that in that hearing, the tech CEOs were asked to talk about what radical left leaning groups or organizations they had censored out and none of them could put down Mm. a specific name. Well, now that doesn't mean if they're saying they're censoring groups that are saying they're going to organize to commit acts of violence, that could be a lot of different things that could be, I'm going to organize a group to assassinate this president. Right. Which to me would be a far left leaning, right? Group. Yeah, absolutely. So just because you can't put a name on it doesn't exactly. mean it doesn't necessarily yeah. hasn't necessarily happened. Well, I think that's interesting that their assumption is is that um, groups that are organizing violence mm-hmm. are automatically are just they're all like it's just removing it's just right leaning groups. It's almost in a way a an admission that it's most of this is right. coming from right leaning groups. Well, I think the the point for the the senators was to say like what so we know that because like see just saying you have a name right mm-hmm. you can identify QAnon and, and and the proud boys or whoever it might be antifa is kind of that only left side like like name like mm-hmm. brand right yeah but there's nobody else but see like see just saying that that doesn't mean that there aren't people who are saying things and maybe like groups of you know they're not labeling themselves as like the anti-trumpsters or whatever mm-hmm. it might be you yeah. know and, well, I and the thing with it, I mean, Antifa is different. Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of these, I mean, the Proud Boys, they have like a leader and they have a face, a figure. they have a face and they have like a legitimate like website that says this is our ideology right, and stuff like right. that. And so it's a lot easier to like to pinpoint these guys. Mm-hmm. Antifa, everything I've read about Antifa is like they're, they act, I'm not calling them terrorists, but they mm-hmm. operate in a lot of ways like a, like a terrorist loose association mm-hmm. where it's a lot of independent close-knit cells yes mm-hmm. who don't have a lot of connection to each other other right. than a other than the loose banner of antifa mm-hmm. these are mostly just instigators that live within their own little cells mm-hmm. and they don't broadcast on social media right. they use right. little codes and stuff <clears throat> like that to to get organizers so they'll figure out okay like this there's going to be a protest here we show up we embed ourselves in the middle of that we start shit mm-hmm. And then that's that's how they operate, but right. they operate on a very small scale. So it's a lot. They're more of insurgents, and insurgents aren't going to be out there broadcasting their ideology as much as these right-leaning groups are. And I think that's the point of the question in the hearing: is mm-hmm. like, what are you doing to address the left-wing organizing? I mean, but what you're saying is, if it's coded and it's secret and it's less organized on a large scale, mm-hmm. how, as a tech company, do you? regulate or stop those groups from if doing there's no that. banner that says antifa right like how are you like how are you going out there as a i mean you're a private company right 
I, there's only so, I don't know. There's only so much that you can do, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like that. I feel like that. Um, what they wanted, what those, what those Republican senators wanted, mm-hmm. was for Facebook to just throw Antifa's name out there. So ever, it's basically it was red meat. Uh, right. When there really isn't a way to throw their name out there because there isn't a lot that they can. I don't know. I'm just uh, assuming. I think you have a great point. Yeah. But but they want. Trump and the in the and a lot of the Republican Republicans in office want Antifa to be this like codified like this mob like yeah, this yeah. like this mob right that you can like label and this this is what Antifa is but mm-hmm. everything I've read about Antifa is that it isn't like it isn't this right. whole hom uh, homo, you know homogeneous group yeah. that has a flag and a in a in a membership and a leadership right. that you can identify. But they want it to be that because then they can attach things. Because once you've got something like you, then they can start attaching. Well, BLM is attached to Antifa. You can start right. doing that. I That's think that a was point. a very much a um, an attempt by the Republican senators to further Trump's narrative about mm-hmm. about Antifa. Mm-hmm. And I think that's partly a bigger issue that's happening on both sides, where there's this rush to push everyone to the extremes because mm, yes, i very much because so. i think there are a lot of people that are also pushing um right-leaning ideologies and right-leaning people wanting to lump them in and saying well that's that's proud boys and yes. you know ultimately oh, yeah. oh, ultimately yeah. that that's fascism and mm-hmm. i i think hopefully what we are seeing is an increasing illumination where there are a lot of us that are saying there's got to be something else in the middle. Like yeah. we're not either of those two really right. extreme things. And there's an opportunity for us to disagree and to not be a hundred percent in alignment on everything, but we can still find enough common ground to not view the world as either Antifa or proud boy, you know, Whatever. race, right. race hating fascism. Yeah. Uh, one question. Sorry, CJ. We'll move on after this. Did you guys watch Borat? No. No. You didn't? Oh, dude. Okay. The Giuliani thing was nothing. I think I had a feeling. Yeah, it was really nothing. And he was tucking in his shirt. Really? Yes. <laughs> Which is worse. Which is worse. He's just tucking in his shirt. Yeah. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen was just trying to trap him in kind of this salacious kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, crap, you know. And he immediately got up and was like, what the hell? And like ran out. I mean... It was what it was. It yeah. wasn't that big of a deal. I just wanted to clarify because there was a lot of skepticism last episode yeah. mm-hmm. of like what happened. And after watching it, it was no big deal. And, and that doesn't absolve Giuliani from being a douche, but it does from this perspective of or this situation with Borat. Yeah. Yeah. I just I question. Um, I think you're right. The yes. my 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 critique of it was. And I think it's fair. Is that if he's able to be duped. Yeah. And be and he's giving access to conservative reporters from a made-up news source. Mm-hmm. You're telling me the Russians haven't attempted right. to meet with him in those ways and then spread disinformation through Giuliani. And I think that's far more of a of a, a leg to stand on than oh my gosh, Giuliani was with this girl who was younger or whatever. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Whatever they yeah. tried to portray it as. That is the the big point and the big takeaway, I think, from that whole situation. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead, nerds. Swing states. (laughs) (laughs) 
The polls right. have been hot. Jake the and I were just talking about that before we started recording. Been hot, 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 hot. The I don't. Gosh, where do you want to? Where do you, where where do you want to start? You know, I think Pennsylvania is the place we talked about a little bit last time. I think we were talking mm-hmm. about leading into the final debate. Yeah. Um, and really saying that there's going to be messages that are telegraphed to Pennsylvania. Um, and it was interesting to read some of the responses to the debate and how people thought the messages landed. Um, Joe Biden kind of doubled down on what he had said during his town hall, which is, I'm not going to outlaw fracking. Um, but he went a little farther than I think people expected in terms of saying, I want to create economic conditions that move us in the direction of new and alternative energy sources. And mm-hmm. one of the things he specifically said is removing, um, was it federal subsidies for oil companies? Uh-huh. And Trump jumped on that right away, as he should, to say, yeah. you hear that? He's going to kill the oil industry. Yeah. Um, I think with an eye to Texas, which I think we also looked at and said it's a much closer call in that state than any of us, I think, ever mm-hmm. expected. And since then, you have seen movement in the polls for, towards Trump in Texas. Yeah. Um, and you've also seen it in Ohio. Not so much in Pennsylvania. Well, that's what I was reading. It was pretty interesting to talk about, um, and we mentioned this last time too, that there's the two metro areas in Pennsylvania and then there's this rural section in between. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the conversation around energy is really speaking to that audience. And that's an audience that George W. Bush won and it's an audience that Trump won. um, And he really needs that support in order to have a chance in Pennsylvania. But what I was reading is that there are a lot of younger folks in Pennsylvania who hear what Joe Biden is saying and hear that message of, we're not saying we're going to kill the oil industry today, but we recognize that maybe 50 years from now, we have to have a different balance than what we have now. And oil is a finite resource. So over enough time, we have to transition to something different and we see the long-term benefits in making that investment. And so mm-hmm. that's a that's one of those measured, moderate messages that is potentially resonating with people who um, maybe didn't vote in 2016 or voted uh, for a third-party candidate or, right. or maybe just fundamentally are, sw- are changing who they want to support based on that particular issue. Mm-hmm. So Pennsylvania, um, to build off of what you're saying, because everything you've said is something is stuff I've read as well. Like um, it's pretty much spot on. And one thing I I wish that maybe maybe on the campaign trail, um, someone who's a, probably a little bit more, I wouldn't say Joe Biden's not articulate, but if there's anybody who can sell a message, right? Mm-hmm. Is it's it's Obama, which is why Obama hasn't left Pennsylvania. <laughs> like right. he has just been going around shaking hands with everybody. Like mm-hmm. uh, the the former uh, former president has just been uh, on the ground in Pennsylvania, and apparently he's been loving it. Every I was reading an article about him, and I guess he's just having the time of his life out there really? on the campaign trail wow. again. So. Um, He's really getting uh, trying to get to get the vote out because he carried Pennsylvania by ten points yeah. in twenty twelve. So I mean, he's immensely popular. I mean, he's like the best ally to be ha- to be in mm. your in your corner. And he, what's known, what's interesting is he didn't do this for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I was just gonna say I think one of the things that's really underscored if you look at some of these swing states and and the directions they're going is the difference between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in and. Granted, Joe Biden is neither of those people. He's right. carving out his own place, uh, but obviously serving as Barack Obama's vice president, like that's an association people have right. 
Barack Obama's more uniquely qualified to go on stump for Biden in in these places. Mm -hmm. But I think it goes back to the baggage that Hillary Clinton brought to a presidential race um, because people associated her with Bill Clinton and Mm -hmm. they may have had associations there. Um, And then they also just she she brings her own background and baggage that's different than you know joe biden's been in politics for a really long time and there's the the crime bill that he was part of that i think people like to point to as something that is not a very flattering uh look for him but overall he's kept a very low profile you know i don't think people really knew him super well before he became vice president right there were certain pockets of the country that did um but I, I think he's he's carving out his own unique spot, but we're seeing that it's probably more in line with Obama than it was with mm-hmm. Clinton, which mm-hmm. which makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, to to further build off of that is I don't know how much Clinton wanted Obama um, in mm. in uh, yeah in the campaign. And here's and something I've read is that um, on the ground in Pennsylvania, I've read a lot. Like I was reading uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. And there was, they interviewed a lot of um, campaign committee chairmen uh, locally in the Philadelphia and Philadelphia suburbs. And they were saying that the Clinton campaign was so arrogant Mm. and really difficult to work with to the point where a lot of the the campaigners and the canvassers didn't want to work for that campaign because there was very strict messaging coming down from the top, from the national Mm. committee being led by... by um by Clinton's camp like Clinton's main campaign right. saying this is what this is the this is what you say this is what you do it's very very structured not giving any flexibility based on geographics based on like not allowing the people on the ground to to decide oh. things Biden has switched that completely he's allowed everybody he's allowed people the canvassers in Michigan canvassers in Pennsylvania all of these urban districts to basically go out you formulate your policy and then you shoot it up, you shoot it up. And we pretty much like, unless it's something that we just, we can't get behind, we're going to let you guys have as much flexibility and autonomy as you feel that you need. And we're going to back you. And that has seemed to not only has it worked in terms of getting Biden's message out, Mm -hmm. but it's worked in terms of um, people being excited about working for the campaign. Right. And I I wonder how much that has been a, um, a really key difference in one Obama being able to get out for him. But then also people um, on their own going out and, and, and stumping for. I wonder if that's a lesson learned from 2016 as well, in the sense that in 2016, I think Hillary Clinton was the Democratic nominee, but there was a lot of um, frustration among the Democratic Party about that. There were people that were not at all excited to vote for her. There were people that said, you know, I'm going to write in Bernie or I'm right. not going to vote at all. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and I, and I think like you're saying that arrogance of like, well, I've got the nomination. So now you're all going to get on board with my program, um, may not have landed very well. And I think, you know, probably two things have happened since then. One, um, people on all sides, but particularly people who fell into those camps have seen, um, what a Trump presidency could look like. And I go back to that, that op-ed from the former Homeland Security uh, employee who, you know, really taught, and, and not only him, but he, and he cites a bunch of other people who've come out and put their name to statements saying like, 
the way this president has conducted his administration goes against decades of what we have seen the office of the president be, um, what it's supposed to do, and particularly from a conservative viewpoint of what government should be and what the executive branch should be. Um, and so I think people look at that and they, they say, you know, I may not, and Joe Biden's also leaned into this really effectively. I'm thinking about what you're talking about with talking points, but also in some of his advertising, he's like coming out really explicitly saying, I'm going to be the president for all Americans. Mm, good point. The people that vote for me as well as the people that don't vote for me. And he said, you know, and I think this is kind of one of those oftentimes would feel like a really generic, like, empty political line but i think it lands differently this year but in a lot of the ads too they've said like we don't have to agree on everything but we can all agree that we love this country or something mm -hmm. like that you mean he didn't call anyone deplorable you know what's crazy is that biden <laughs> yeah. biden that was his, a bad look Bi <laughs> biden has look you know and honestly that those kind of things really sat made it hard for pennsylvania and there was a lot of people who and i guess in philadelphia who felt really put off by her real arrogance with that. And they said those comments probably cost her Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. Um, because that's, it's not only was that offensive to the people in the rural counties, but it's, it was, there was a lot of people who felt that it was offensive to all of Pennsylvania. Not even that. The, the, her ability to even just say that. Mm -hmm. The arrogance to just say something like yeah. that. And you're running for president of the United States. Mm -hmm. Not that Donald Trump doesn't say shit like that because yeah. he does all the time. But you were supposed to be the counter to that. You're yeah. not supposed to be like him. And now you're saying things yeah. like that. And it's like. Oh. It was really unfortunate because I think that. So I, there's a really good Netflix documentary mm -hmm. on Hillary Clinton that Kylie watched, and I've seen a little bit of it. Yeah, and she is Hillary Clinton is is an incredibly smart individual, mm -hmm. probably probably just in terms of intelligence, smarter than Biden. Mm -hmm. But she's such a wonk when it comes to policy, and it was so hard for her campaign to try to um, make her appear likable one yeah. because of the, there's sexism there right like a woman has to be likable because you can just say mm -hmm. i don't like her because of her behavior like that's really easy to just write some, a woman right. off as unlikable or you can't really do it as with a guy um but it was really hard to paint her that way given the the environment and the culture that we live in because they someone would ask her a question about um, especially in the primary, she ran this, and they talked about this in the documentary um, about her campaign against uh, Bernie Sa uh, Bernie Sanders in the mm -hmm. primary. Was like someone would ask her a question about um, student debt relief, and Bernie would just like the populist message. Well, we're going to get rid of student debt, right? He would just say he would just say that, right? And it, but Hillary Clinton would want to get into the weeds yes. of the policy of how okay, we can't just straight up get rid of all debt. But we can do it through this way, and then this channel, and with this act, and then we can we can bring, and then it just like had this whole thing that like I'm thinking, thinking like I love that, right? Like that's yeah. actual policy, <laughs> and I'm like I'm sitting here getting excited about it. But the average voter just wants to hear, and they're like, Hillary, just tell the voters you're going to get rid of their debt. And yes. She's like, well, I can't tell them that. Like that's not the truth. Right. And so she came across as just this wonk in this like dry. just really dry yeah. person. And then you get the then on top of that, you get her just frustration with people like it's got to be like being her like growing up as essentially like a Republican for most of her life. She was like a rat, but she was like, but she's like a Republican now, but she was a radical 
back when she was in college, like her early life in college, like she was one of the first women to ever be admitted to Princeton law. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like she's been battling this sexism forever to finally get on that stage, to be that democratic nominee. The thing, thing that she has, um, she probably felt she was, she was more qualified for than her husband mm-hmm. to finally mm-hmm. get to that point, And then to f- have to go against a buffoon like Donald Trump <laughs> and to have all of these, all of these people on the campaign trail yelling sexist shit at her, all that. Yeah. And then just, it's unfortunate that moment that that deplorable thing came out. It's just like, damn, like that really sucks. And that's yeah. not the excuse that her campaign didn't have arrogance because there seemed right. like there was a lot of it there. But I don't know. It's just, it was just a really, unf- 2016 was just a really unfortunate time. Um, and it sucked that that had to have been the year that she actually won because I think right. like if she was going against anybody other than Donald Trump, she may have had a better chance. Mm. I don't know. It, um, yeah, it's, un- I don't know, unclear. Donald Trump, dude. I was thinking too, as I'm listening to you talk about Hillary Clinton and like getting caught up by going down in the weeds, it reminds me of Al Gore. Like mm-hmm. same yeah. same kind of problem where very bright um, and facing an opponent that's more charismatic mm-hmm. um, and you might have better answers potentially. I don't know. That's like, I remember that election but not mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. great detail i just watched an snl sketch of one of their like mock presidential debates and mm-hmm. it, that was pretty funny but i i know that that's one of the things that people critiqued al gore on is like he would get way down into the we're gonna we're gonna create a uh, budget surplus and we're gonna put it in the lockbox and it was like this whole like probably really smart plan but it was how do you articulate that right. in a way that we talked about that the other day and um you know how does an how do you get a message that an average person you know that's spending five minutes you know with the voters guide and maybe a, a little bit before that to make up their mind how do you condense something like that down into a, a bullet point that they really get so I'm kind of thinking about like Biden's messaging around fracking when you guys are talking about this mm-hmm. like I'm sure there is a very in-depth plan and idea to phase this all out but the general message is i'm not ending fracking right Mm -hmm. but he does if he's pushed he does have a yeah a a, a laid out plan to of of transitioning right yeah so he does have those those plans but he's not just like the first and foremost he's like i'm not raising taxes on anyone you know what i mean Mm -hmm. he has these continuous statements that he's saying that people can look to but if he's pushed he does have the plan that yeah. he can lay out definitely yeah he just i'm thinking about that and i'm thinking mm-hmm. he's also trying to create contrast because every chance he got in debate settings mm-hmm. and in his rallies he'll say where's the plan present the plan right present a plan to go against my plan like here's here's the bullet point here's that yes. that bumper sticker message you know no taxes above 400,000 and then you know go to my website or go here and you'll find the rest of the yes. plan where is the rest of that 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 matches up to it mm-hmm. to to build off of that um he has done a really good job of low-key kind of trying to steal the na- na- this nationalistic message from trump not in a, like a toxic nationalistic way but a, like 
you know, we're all Americans. This is, um, and you see that in like mm. those Don Winslow videos that you showed. Diversity me, right? is American. Yeah, and talking about like you know, this is the stuff that we believe in. Like, like having. Um, I, ah. I love Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels is one of my favorites. Right? I, Did you ever watch the Newsroom? Yeah. Dude, oh, my oh my god! If you haven't seen the Newsroom, you've got to watch it. Okay. It's an amazing, amazing show. Is it like a sitcom? No, it's. No, it's oh, you told it's me like about an this. HBO show. Yes. Um, and it's based on like. Basically, uh, like a cable news network. Right. Um, and what was so cool about it, and it wouldn't play quite the same now, but when you like when it was on in real time, mm-hmm. the show was basically set like eight weeks in the past. So I don't oh, remember when it. Oh, interesting. I don't remember specifically when it started, but the uh, uh, the first episode was uh, the Exxon. Yeah. Uh, no, that Deep was Water the, uh, Horizon. Deepwater Horizon. Yeah, yeah, and that was like it was literally like two months after that had happened. Gotcha. So they were working like. Almost in real time, weird. And they were and they were like taking this sh- this show and saying, "What if cable news was different?" In in mm-hmm. the sense of like, it's just hard to explain, right? But, but they, why why the, did you guys bring I don't know, up the, the dialogue? He, he narrated that. He narrated the Michigan one. For Michigan what? The uh, video that I sent you didn't watch I it. I didn't watch it. Oh, there's, never mind that. There's a series of movie <laughs> of uh, videos. Uh-huh. The one I told you about too that says Biden isn't coming for your guns. It's the same creator, uh-huh. but he's made two incredible videos. The first one is, that I saw was called um, "America Needs Michigan," uh-huh. and it's narrated by Jeff Daniels. Whoa, That's why we we're going to. Interesting. But he's like saying, you know, I've lived in Michigan. I grew up here, and mm-hmm. I've lived here most of my life. But he like talks about Midwest values mm-hmm. and about. Oh, like gotcha. kindness and um, mm. blue collar work ethic, keeping your keeping your word, golden rule. Like yeah. a lot of these, like a lot of these real kind of like identity laden messaging yeah. that really drives home that kind of like we are America nationalists. Because everything that Trump was talking about, like on that last debate, like he was very very conscious to make this about a about the nation, right? The right. idea of the American nation. American sovereignty because that was this whole thing about um, if we don't have oil right or if we don't have steel we don't have a country that's a nationalistic yeah. message yeah, right for sure um, the thing with uh, with climate change they were going to like we're if we entered into this other countries are going to dictate to America yeah. what we can do with our energy sector we don't have a country if we're in the Paris climate accords right like that real like isolationist nationalistic message and Biden's like I'm going to try to take that nationalism but make it about diversity and make it about values and making it about Boom. not exclusion inclusion but we have a nation but we don't we exist just in a vacuum and i think that that was a much more positive nationalistic message yeah. than trump's toxic nationalism and that's what i constantly think about donald trump is like he's he's just to point out real quick he's talking about industry and identifying who the us is as far as industry right mm-hmm. this is who we are we are americans we are industry coal steel whatever Biden is flipping it and saying, who are we personally? We're mm-hmm. people. The We're in, people. The steel right. industry doesn't exist without steel workers. Yes, yes. There is, I, so there's a, there's a Michigan one and a Pennsylvania one. And what I'm thinking about, too, is he's also very low-key throwing shade with those videos because there's like a promises made, promises kept question mark mm-hmm. that happens. Especially in Michigan. Like, be, because yeah. there's conversations about like jobs and industries yeah. and saying basically like, the soybean industry has gone in the toilet. Yeah. And so you were told this is going to make our country great. Right. Is it, 
is greatness defined as soybean farms right. losing Declining. money hand over fist and paying their bills on a credit card so yeah. that they can keep the lights on and i, I mean i'm sure there's there's bigger pictures to be made, but I love what we're talking about in terms of this idea of national identity and yeah. thinking about it as um, inclusive instead of as being a, a dividing rod that splits yes. us and factionalizes us. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think fundamentally when I look at people who I see being really in the tank for mm-hmm. the president, that's what I see is that they like ultimately they want to be so left alone mm-hmm. that their identity is just truly me. Right. Maybe my family, maybe my church community, um, maybe my town. If, if we all, right. I, I think back to the Lindsey Graham quote from last week of, uh, black people should feel comfortable to go anywhere in my state as long as they're conservative. Right. Instead of like, what is the inclusive message? Mm-hmm. How can, what mm-hmm. is, what does America offer a diversity of people? Um, like, how stupid is that comment? How do you determine if someone's conservative walking down the street? Yeah. Right? Like, if... That's oh, scary. So, you're a, a cop can... You're telling me that a cons, like a conservative has a certain look yeah. to yeah. them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I'm a conservative, but if I walk through Trump country, like... I, well, I, 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 they would probably think I'm some raging liberal, right? Yeah. I'm wearing a hat I bought at Cannon Beach that says PNW. Like, it's... <laughs> like, I, I, I look like a... I look you know, right. borderline hip, like board, not hipster, but I look right. like I look like a PNW liberal. I and I think what's implied in that message is that if you're not conservative, you can't help yourself but smash windows and oh, spray okay. graffiti. Oh, yeah. Okay, you yeah. know, like oh, that makes sense. Like, yeah. like, like basically, they're saying if if you're not engaging in anti activity, you fit under the umbrella of conservative yeah. and yeah, this whole conversation kind of reminds me and makes me think about that conversation with Alex. Like what does it mean to be an American? Mm-hmm. Right. And you have two candidates who are trying to, mm-hmm. to use that and define that, um, you know, with, with Trump, I feel like it's with Trump supporters that I engage with and I talk with, it's very nasty. It's, it's, it's poisonous. It's dark. They're it's, angry. They're angry. They yeah. want to see people lose. They want to see people suffer. They're celebrating the death of a, a Supreme Court justice. Like it's it's dark, right? Mm-hmm. And when when I engage and I talk with these people, I'm like, is this what you want America to be? Like this 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 darkness to feel this way, to feel unrest to feel you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and then when there are people who are feeling unrest and feeling attacked and they're protesting that now you're attacking them for that well they feel like they're being attacked because Th- they've that's been what I'm saying. yeah they've been told by the president that you're the victim exactly you're the silent majority that is being dictated to by these minorities yeah. both in terms of ideolo- ideology and race like you're being right. dictated to the white culture of america yeah. is under threat right yeah there you can't have you can't be white and proud or mm-hmm. whatever christians are under threat is. from muslims and liberals yes. too, like in yeah. atheist liberals that, that white pride thing is like it's scary how prominent it is with with those supporters and mm-hmm. people like that my point being overall is that like you know i i it's kind of i don't know if i feel comfortable 100 percent with the nationalistic kind of push of like, this is who we are as Americans and where the, you said morals and I'm like, yeah. Ooh, you know, but in a sense, I also am feeling like, are, is this who we are? Are we nasty people who celebrate the death of people and, yeah. and the, and the suffering of people? Or are we as Joe's pushing, even though it might make me a little uncomfortable, 
Should we be more positive? Are we in yeah. this together? Let's have each other's back. What does it mean to be American? Yeah, I think it's a it, well. I mean, we'll we'll see. I yeah. I haven't gotten um like my my ticker for nationalism like goes like my alarm bells go off yeah. too when I see and hear stuff like that. But I haven't. I don't know about you, CJ. When you watch those videos, were you really like alarmed of like him trying to define like define what it is to be a, American? Do you have you gotten any senses of like this? type of nationalism could be could become toxic down the road no i not and i get where you're going with that Mm because i do think like there's an argument to be made that like being absolutely inclusive of everything Mm -hmm. can be a form of oppression it goes back to the whole like Mm. there have been the lawsuits about like can you force a bakery to bake a cake for a same-sex couple when that like goes against their moral conviction. If you say like an American value is that we're accepting. So that means you have to accept my, my purchase order for this cake. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, everybody's going to have a different calculus for how they feel about those things. And that's a good point. Just a real quick sidebar on that. It reminds me um, in the book of Romans in the Bible, there's Mm -hmm. a part where Paul is writing to, early Christians and they're living in a, a secular city mm-hmm. and there are differing views about diet right. and um, there was food that would be taken to the market and before it was sold, the, the vendors would like basically put it in front of an idol and pray to the God of the idol that it would get blessed. And right. so there were Christians who basically said like, you can't buy and eat this food because that's tantamount to worshiping this false God. Mm -hmm. And there were others who said, those people are putting it in front of a rock that has nothing to do. It doesn't change in any way. Mm. The chemical composition of the food, that's not a real God. It has no power. It's not a big deal, but this was like a huge schism in the church. And so what Paul counseled that group is there are some people who have a faith journey that allows them to eat whatever they want. And mm-hmm. then there are some people who have this very restrictive diet because of the faith that they have right. and what they believe. And he said, what matters most is that we get along, that we find ways to, to mm. not cause others to lose their faith. We, we have a common goal that we're pursuing. We want to we develop a relationship with God. We right. want to um, we wanna be together in heaven. And I think that's the part that I see missing. And that's where... I, there's concern if you take the nationalism that Joe Biden is presenting or that these videos are, are speaking to, right. to a real extreme. But to me, when I think about like which picture and which path do I see where I could get to heaven one day and there are people that are on the other side from me and they're there. And I'm not immediately going, well, we got to kick those people out. Right. You know, here's X, Y, and Z. Right. Which is why I hear you saying, Jeff, of like the the vitriol and the we're going to punish and we're going to pound people down. Like, yeah. Who who's going to want to get on board with that program yeah. if they if they don't fit the model? Right. And I and it circles back to I was thinking as you were sharing that to yeah. the social media conversation mm-hmm. again. Like, if you're putting those messages of hey, everybody come together versus like we got to all go after this person. Right. Which one is going to get more engagement? Yeah. There are going to be more people that are more viscerally 
on board with punishing or going after somebody or like angrily trying to defend the person that's being attacked, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then if you say, hey, let's all get along, that's not as popular of a message. Yeah, that's true. But that takes each of us in our own minds saying, how am I going to approach this? That's a great point. Nationalism by design. Great analogy also. Yeah, great good analogy. um, Nationalism by design is offensive. Patriotism, in contrast, by design is defensive. Like, because... In order for a country to get patriotism out of its citizenship, Mm -hmm. it requires that the nation has to do something to get that loyalty out of its citizenry. So it's defensive in nature, right? Like, I want to go defend my country because my country gives me X, Y, Z. Whereas nationalism is this, like, you need to believe this. Mm -hmm. It's offensive in nature. Like, it's like you've, in order for you to be with us, in order, you have to do this to be part of the country. So it has to convert. It has to naturally convert instead of letting people come to you, right? right. It's mm. like you know, if, if the nation is so good and can stand on its on its laurels, people will want to come. Whereas right. nationalism is like you need to, if you want to be a part of us, you've got to do this, and it's forcing you to be a part of something. So that was um, that's that's, a- that's my key difference between Biden, yeah, and obviously, and then Trump. Uh. I th- is we've seen record lows of immigration in the United States and whether that's the wall mm-hmm. or that attitude of like, look at this great nation. I want to come and be in that nation. Yeah. Opposed to this image of like, stay the F out. All we care about is ourselves and, and, and we're America first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So is that a reflection of Trump's great immigration policy <laughs> <laughs> or is it a reflection of like, I'd, I'd rather not just be a part of yeah. that. You should read Thomas. Thomas Paine wrote a lot more than just common sense, mm-hmm. but um, in he he wrote a lot about um, this rejection of of nation this rejection of nationalism, and he talked a lot about a country shouldn't brag about itself until it can feed all of its poor. It can it has equality and justice for all. Mm-hmm. And basically, laid out all of the things that are caught all these ideas right that are are. Um, codified in our constitution and mm-hmm. in our bill of rights and stuff like that. And until a, until a country can do all of that, it really shouldn't just rest on its laurels. And so much about what Trump is about making America great again, keep America great. His whole thing is like, we're great because we're America and therefore we don't have to do anything to be better. Right. It's just That's like, great. we're just yeah. going to be static because we're Americans. We're going to rest on our laurels and we just, we this is, we just do these things where it's like Biden is Biden's message is let's, even if we're good, even if we're great, Let's mm. we can always be better. Right. And that that's that's that ho- for me, that's like that hope of let's continue to try to continue to perfect because yeah. obviously with the understanding that it never nothing's ever going to be perfect. That it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Right. So I think one other part of what Trump's argument would be is self-determination. So and that goes back mm. to, again, like taking that nationalism and breaking it down to like individualism in a way. It's like everybody should get what they deserve and it's that's defined by what you do how hard you work Mm -hmm. and i i think there certainly is is merit in that and i and i think i also hear what you're saying from thomas Paine, and i love that because um fundamentally for our society to be really successful we can't all just be totally Mm self-focused we should be we should be outward focused and other focused. And sometimes that means 
something is a little bit less fair for me so that it helps someone else. Right. And that's a, that's a value that I think is, whether it's dictated by the government or whether it's innate in citizens, I think that's an important part of a healthy and stable and functioning society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, we kind of took a big detour in Pennsylvania, but yeah. <laughs> as, as we was head, a good conversation. As we head south toward um, Florida and Georgia and some of those states, I did want to point out uh, two things. One, if you're listening now and haven't voted yet, get on the ball, particularly... I haven't. In, Me neither. <laughs> but you guys have started. I heard yeah, you oh guys yeah. were I yeah, yeah. am still so torn between Long and, and Herrera Butler, yeah. so... I uh, I'm still going through each candidate for the the various positions and researching yeah. them. So what a process! It's a long battle because there are people who are just going blue, blue, yeah. blue, red, 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 yeah. and it, even if I might lean mm-hmm. dem- Democrat, I'm still doing the process. Well, as you should. I, mean, I know that, but yeah. it's frustrating that there's others who are just going, oh, okay, red, 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 yeah, red, done, it's submit. <laughs> to, to, uh, to give you an example of that, this is how deep of a dive I've gone into Florida politics. Right? Okay. I reached out to somebody from du- no. from Duval County no. to talk to them about what they're seeing on the ground in Florida. <laughs> and I had a, about an oh, hour-long conversation you. last night with somebody in Duval County, yeah. just outside of Jacksonville, wow. Wow. about what they're seeing. Yeah. Because Duval County is a state that has been a Republican stronghold. It's voted Democrat once. Yeah. And that's when Jimmy Carter won it. And now it's like in in 76. That was the last time it went blue. Right. It's been slowly shifting blue. Mm -hmm. And if Duval County, which is historically a Republican stronghold, switches, it is... It, it that it's it's that's a death knell for the yeah, president. Yeah. And I was like, what are you seeing? What like what is like he's like he's like um so I'll just go I'll just go down this a little shortly about this conversation. Okay. He goes he goes I he goes I'll start with an anecdote. Oh, first of all, where'd you find them? Like plenty of fish or what? <laughs> <laughs> uh through a through a uh, just through a mutual friend. Oh, okay. Like he's like oh, okay. I, I, cause, so and then he's like, yeah, I've he, um, so he he we created a group chat, gotcha. and then he um he brought this guy in, and so he was talking to me, cool. and he's like, so and this guy's like really in tune to politics down okay, there, cool. and um so the dude the, he, this guy uh, says, um I'll start with an anecdote. He goes, um there was because obviously mail-in voting is a lot bigger now in Florida than it's been. Right. He goes, so Florida is trying to be as transparent as possible given our history with. Uh, voter stuff go he's like if it doesn't go to the supreme court it's a it's it's a right right it's a it's a landslide if it doesn't go to the supreme court because i just elections are close in florida and we want it and he's like i'm really encouraged by the amount of um care that the government is taking and making sure that this the voting is fair and mm-hmm. even and everything but he goes so there's a lot of he goes especially in uh, in duval county there in one of the in the voting vo- vote counting there was the machine kicked out something like a couple hundred ballots Mm -hmm. and just on this day and to make it fair they brought in a judge and they live streamed this 
going through the process where the election officials and the judge were going through together, seeing what was the irregularity that the machine kicked it out and rejected the ballot for. If it was just wow. like like a com- not a completely filled in bubble, if there was like a random mark on the page and like determining how to count those ballots without having to fully reject them. Right. And so they're doing it in a very transparent process. And he goes, the thing is, you couldn't see the people's names, but you could see how they voted. And he goes, I watched this for three hours. And he goes, you would be shocked the amount of people who down ballot voted red, but checked Biden as president. Interesting. And he goes, so these numbers that Trump is reading, he goes, when people turn in ballots into Florida, the Florida Election Commission will release data on the on the because you have to check partisan like mm-hmm. they'll they'll re- they'll release the partisan numbers how many republicans have turned in right. ballots how many independents how many democrats and he goes so we don't know exactly how those people voted we just know that a republican turned in a ballot right and he goes also consider that in 2016 the election was closer between trump and clinton than any other democratic and republican candidate mm-hmm. had been duval county voted for gilliam for governor over DeSantis in 2018 mm-hmm. and now he goes he said 48 to 50% of registered Democrats in Duval County are African-American who are pissed off the president doing everything they can to get out the vote. He goes, it is, he goes, the African-American community is, is, is they're voting, they're energized, they're excited to vote. And he goes, um, and then he, what else did he say to me? He goes, uh, and then I, a lot of the stuff he was saying was stuff I had read in the Her- like I read in the Miami Herald wow. just a couple of days ago. He's echoing a lot of the same stuff. He goes, I go, he goes independent. He goes, it's hard because Duval County. He goes, independents break, get the break towards Republicans right. in the state. And he goes, one. And I'm like, well, I read that 1.2 million independents have cast ballots already. And he goes, yeah, that's. He goes, and I go, how do they break? He goes, they're generally breaking towards Republicans. I'm like, oh dang. So how do you see the election going? And he just says, here's how I see the election going. By Don. Oh, wow. So he's pretty confident that Florida is going to go um, towards Trump, which is interesting because Trump removed hundreds of thousands of dollars of ad money yeah. out of the state two days ago. Wow. Why does he keep pulling all this money? He's focused on because Florida is a tough media market. Right. There is a lot of different media markets in Florida, so it's really expensive the, to the run The population ads. is spread, mm-hmm. so you're having to buy ads in multiple places where... There are other states that he might be going after where there's like one big mm-hmm. metros. Oh, yeah. gotcha. So he's focused his money. He's reappropriated his small amount of funds into four states. Mm-hmm. He's focused on playing defense in Iowa, trying to sneak a squeaker out in Pennsylvania, Minnesota, probably because it's super cheap. It's like one yeah. media market mm-hmm. in St. Paul, and then Michigan. Because hmm. he knows he, if he cannot flip, one of the rest belts, it's over. Hmm. So I'm glad you brought up the ballot tabulation in Florida. One thing I wanted to touch on um, that happened also this week is the Supreme Court made a couple different rulings mm. that affect um, your ability to cast ballots in different states. Um, so the U.S. Supreme Court made a couple rulings, and there are state-level things happening as well. Um, we talked about Pennsylvania. The big news that broke, I think, yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that um, they upheld um, a state ruling that ballots that are mailed on Election Day and have a postmark could be counted as long as they arrive within three days. 
uh, Republicans in the state had challenged that up to the Supreme Court. And I was telling Jeff, like, looking at these rulings was really interesting. So they also ruled in North Carolina um, a similar ruling. Um, but in North Carolina, they said ballots that arrived up to November 12 could be counted. Um, and what I liked, I actually read the the Supreme Court ruling, which I, it's not something I do a lot, but I told you guys, like, I should read those more often because they are so smart. Yeah. There's some heavy legal language, but what I loved is basically what the Supreme Court was saying is when we look at the U.S. Constitution, it says states should administer their elections. And when we look at the state constitutions in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, and we look at um, what the state has made as their laws around elections, and then in Pennsylvania, they passed a law earlier this year that impacted this ability for ballots to come in after Election Day. Um, originally, I think it was 8 p.m. election day. They had to be physically received, and then they changed that to up to three days after. And the, I believe it was in Pennsylvania, like the specific language in the Constitution says, like, unambiguous for, like, how they s- established that deadline. And they basically said what the Republicans in Pennsylvania are asking us to say is that by saying three days after the election, if it's postmarked on election day, that that doesn't constitute an unambiguous deadline, which mm-hmm. unambiguous is a fancy way of saying specific. Right. They said, nope, that all is above board. The state has done what the federal constitution tells them to do and what their state constitution tells them to do in a way that's appropriate as defined by those documents. There's mm-hmm. nothing for the Supreme Court to do with this or get involved. Right, I um, love that. Which I thought was great. I was telling Jeff before we started how refreshing to see a branch of government not look for a power grab. They're not looking to say, Hey, we're the boss of elections. This is, we're going to, we're going to rule in a way that determines how this is done. And they made two different rulings for two different States because that's what the people and the elected representatives in those States decided. So I thought that was really Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, The other big thing that came out um, was in Texas. We talked about that before, but uh, Texas governor, had um, passed an executive order, I think it was, that limited the drop-off locations for ballots to one per county. Um, And Texas' Supreme Court upheld that ruling yesterday, I think it was. Um, That could get appealed higher, but honestly, with the amount of time left until the election, it probably won't matter at this point. That's that's effectively going to be the reality in Texas. You'll have to vote in person or if you want to drop your ballot out of box, it's going to have to be the one spot that exists in your county. So um, those were interesting. Um, in Wisconsin, by contrast, the Supreme Court um, ruled that ballots must arrive by 8 p.m. on Election Day um, because that's what, the, again, what the state had set up. And what I love is the Supreme Court's not making a unilateral decision saying this right, is what right. it's got to yeah, be. yeah. They're saying each state has been tasked to conduct their elections. Right. And we're not saying one is necessarily better or worse or right or wrong. We're saying it's up to you. What they've done represents the will of the people in that state. And so I know we're going to run out of time, but I just want to circle back Mm -hmm. really quick to that article I was mentioning from Miles Taylor, Mm -hmm. because I think it puts a bow on some of this. Um, And I was talking with somebody else because, um, I think sometimes we think I'm going to vote and then the job is done. Like I've picked the president. They're going to take care of everything. Um, and what I hear him saying as somebody who 
leans to the right but is supporting Joe Biden this year. Yeah. I, and I think what we were talking about, about what does it mean to be American, it totally fits. It says, this election is a two-part referendum, first on the character of a man and second on the character of our nation. That's why I am urging fellow Republicans to put country over party, even if that means supporting Trump's Democratic opponent. Although former Vice President Joe Biden is likely to pursue progressive reforms that conservatives oppose, and rest assured, we will challenge them in mm-hmm. loyal opposition, his policy agenda cannot equal the damage done by the current president to the fabric of our republic. I believe Joe Biden's decency will bring us back together where Donald Trump's dishonesty has torn us apart. Wow. So as you were talking about looking at ballots in Florida where you can see people voted for Joe Biden and then voted Republicans down the rest of the ticket, mm-hmm. I think that's what it looks like. That's, a, again, circling back to checks right. and balances. Right. It's it's not just about who do we vote for every four years, but every two years there yes. are congressional seats up and we have an opportunity. And locally we have the opportunity to pick our local yep. representatives and senators who make the laws like how voting is conducted mm-hmm. in our state, uh, what our state does around other issues that sometimes we think can only be determined and adjudicated at the national level. Right. Uh, uh, we were talking before the recording, but I mean, obviously the makeup of the Supreme Court has changed pretty drastically mm-hmm. in the very recent future or past and over the last number of years. But I was telling Jeff, it's like, if you look at the Supreme Court, the difference between the most conservative and the most liberal Supreme Court justice is so much narrower than the difference between even like the most conservative and liberal senator mm-hmm. or Congress member mm-hmm. or person on the street. Right. So we get hung up sometimes in that. And I'm not saying that having a court that skews one way or the other mm-hmm. isn't super impactful. And the I mean, the, the things that people are talking about, about um, changes to laws that Mm -hmm. exist right now are very real Mm -hmm. but i do appreciate like i said seeing a body that's not looking to gather and exert power they're looking to give power back to the people Mm -hmm. they're looking to say we should only be getting involved in things if one group or or one part of the population is holding down another group right so i i just and i think that's where what i take away is is Yes, voting is important, but it's also what are we doing every day? It's right. and it's those those down the ticket things. I admire you guys for spending that time of really doing the heavy yeah. research, because <laughs> um, I know like for a lot of them, I'm relying on what's in the voters guide. Which right. I wrote a voters guide statement once for a candidate, and mm-hmm. I know what that's like. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And how that can be hard to like. It's similar to what we were talking about. How do you sum up an entire platform mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. those few words that fit in the voters guide? Right. Um, what is being said to sell someone, but also being as true to you, your campaign as possible. Yeah. Real quick That's sidebar rough. on that. Yeah. I always, every time I open a voter's guide, all I can think about is the, the one where I wrote the statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote it for my candidate in third person. So I said, so-and-so believes this, yeah, so-and-so yeah, yeah. does this, so-and-so has this experience. And I opened the voter's guide for that particular county. Every single other statement was written in first person. I am so-and-so. I'm running for this office. I have this experience. I care about. And I just felt terrible because (laughs) it was like, it made it, to me, as I looked at it, it made it feel like this candidate was not as invested. It was not as personal. So now I'm always aware of that. In Clark County, it seems like there's somewhat of a balance. Mm -hmm. 
but I find myself gravitating more toward those first person mm. statements where it's like, you are writing to me instead right. of like, that's interesting. So-and-so is dictating a statement. Yeah. So anyways, I've been talking a lot today. So much, You're for, allowed. So much for the NPR voice. You're Here allowed. Fine. So uh, you just really quick. Yeah. We didn't get into all the swing states, which is fine. I'm sure our, our this conversation was a lot better to listen to than me talking about <laughs> uh, the breakdowns of each swing state. But you need the candidate needs needs 270 electoral votes to win. Yeah. Um, there is a handful of key swing states uh, that are going to ultimately determine the election. The biggest two we talked about is Pennsylvania and Florida. Without those, the president has no chance of, of winning. Um, Florida will be close. Pennsylvania is about a five-point lead. If without a without a 2006 without a without a bigger um, the without a voting error larger than 2016 can Trump win Pennsylvania right now? The, the, the vote, the, the polling error in Pennsylvania was 3.7. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, Biden's average lead amongst the polls is over five. So it just does not seem that Trump's path to victory is like, there really is much of a path to victory. Mm-hmm. Even if Biden loses both Florida and Pennsylvania, but is able to flip Arizona and flip Iowa and maintains Nevada Biden still wins. So right. even without those two key electoral states of Pennsylvania and Florida, Biden still has a meaningful hmm. chance of winning the election. Whereas Trump loses either of those, there isn't much of a path to victory for him. And which is why both the economist is giving him a 3% chance of winning. Yeah. 538 is giving the president an 11% chance of winning. Um, Wow. States move together, and he may not even be able to hold Iowa. Arizona looks like it's going to flip. Nevada looks like it's even more solid blue, even though the president is trying to flip Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, unless unless the president is correct that all of his voters are just out there hidden and the polls are missing him again, I there's I just I don't see it. The the, majority. the amount of well, the amount of enthusiasm amongst the vote the voting electorate yeah. it's just it just doesn't seem. I, the other thing that they were pointing out, uh, uh, some Trump pollsters were point, pointing out, putting out were, well, the, the 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 vote has been suppressed in the Miami Dade area, mm-hmm. which is like the biggest population center. Right. And uh, if a Democrat was going to win the state, they have to have an overwhelming turnout in in uh, Miami Dade. And they're saying like my those those people they don't. I was listening I was listening to a the guy that ran Florida for Obama in 2008 and 2012. He was talking about Miami Dade. He goes, they don't turn out until right before the election. It doesn't regardless. They've right. got so many other things going on in their lives. They show up to vote, but every one of us sits around and worries that every single year are they going to show up? And eventually mm-hmm. they do. Right. And he goes, he goes, I am I am cautiously optimistic about about Biden's chances in Florida. Mm. And if that's the case, if you got to see that reverberate through the rest of the of the um, of the Sun Belt. In Georgia, it looks like it's starting to flip. North Carolina. I mean, this could be. There's there's a reason why Democrats are cautiously optimistic right. about a landslide. Mm-hmm. Nobody's saying it. We also have PTSD. Nobody is saying it, <laughs> and I'm not going to say it. Right. But yeah. isn't it Wade County? Wade County. <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne Wade. Real oh, quick gotcha. to defend myself. Yeah. 
The Bell Jar is a really, really famous novel by Sylvia Plath. Just to defend myself, right here on this little can of sparkling ice, it says ball. <laughs> Bye, guys. Ball Bye. is life. <laughs> Bye. Bye.